Our reading for today is Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. Listen now to the word of the Lord. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, we, we are uh, in the midst uh, of a series of sermons I'll be preaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And last week we began with the fruit of love. Uh, which is the greatest and the first. Um, And today we're going to talk about the second in the series, uh, joy. Uh, But before I get to the sermon, I I have two uh, quick announcements I do want to make. One is that uh, Han Shin, uh, whom we announced a couple, I guess about a month ago, um, that she would be doing her field education with us as a uh, pastoral intern, unfortunately uh, will not be able to join us this year for that. So I just wanted you to uh, alert you to that. And the uh, other announcement I would like to make is, um, uh, Catherine, if you could come up here for a sec. Um, Catherine likes attention almost as much as I do. (laughs) Almost. Um, You know, you all know Catherine has been uh, leading our fellowship group team for um, 14 years. So uh, she's been doing a quite some time, and we've all been blessed um, by the food and snacks, and um, I, I've learned so much from her just about the importance and the value of having you know, a cup of coffee as an excuse to talk with people and to uh, engage with people. And so after 14 years, we thought we'd give her a little break. And so, um, so uh, she is going to pass on the leadership of, of the fellowship team to uh, Sarah. Uh, where's Sarah? And Helen, if you guys could just stand up so that people can see who you are. So these are the people that now you can, you can look to uh, to help us with our uh, fellowshipping. Um. <laughs> so, um, you know, just as a small thanks, uh, Kat, um, we're not asking you to cook more, but um, these seemed appropriate. And we have uh, some gift certificates we thought... We ought to treat you to at least one meal on us uh, for all the work you've done for us. So thank you for uh, all that you've done. Thank you. All right. Uh, Let's pray together. God, thank you for this day that you have made. And now in the hearing of your word, help us to, to open our hearts Uh, to experience more joy in our lives, to know what that joy is. Um, We want this fruit just to blossom in our lives. And so, God, would you speak through through me today and uh, open our lives to you fully, that we may experience your goodness this day. 
We pray this thing in Christ's name. Amen. In what I'm sure is one of your all-time favorite books, How to Survive Being a Presbyterian, author Bob Reed shares this bit of rumor. It's been said that Calvin put a man in jail for three days for laughing in church. And some reports have it that he sometimes woke up in the middle of the night worrying that somewhere in the world, someone was having a good time. Grim and joyless are how John Calvin and Presbyterians are often and stereotypically portrayed. We have been caricatured as those who hold a series of never-ending committee meetings interrupted occasionally by a worship service. However, according to a real scholar, B.B. Warfield, in his book, Calvin's Doctrine of Creation, he writes that Calvin taught laughter is the gift of God, and he held it to be the right, or rather the duty, of the Christian man to practice in due season. He is constantly joking with his friends in his letters, and he eagerly joins them in all the joys of life. He writes, I wish I were with you for half a day to laugh with you. He enjoyed a joke hugely with that open mouth laugh, which was one which, as one of his biographer phrases it, belonged to men of the 16th century. Uh, that's probably not how, not how you've pictured Calvin, if you've pictured him at all. Uh, I don't really ever recall seeing an image or a picture of Calvin in which he's smiling. Um, I looked up this week on Google just, you know, images of Calvin, and I couldn't find a picture of him smiling. I mean, he had a little bit of a smirk in one picture, but that's, that's about it. Um, joy is not the first word, maybe not the first 50 words that, you, that comes to mind when people think of Presbyterians. Um, We the frozen chosen. But it should be, and it ought to be, because joy characterizes or should characterize the life of every Christian, Presbyterian, or any other lesser forms of Christianity. That was a joke. Um, Joy reverberates throughout the scriptures, and we are repeatedly called to joy and gladness. In the Bible. Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 32, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with joys and cries of joy. Joy is the assumed posture of the people of God. There is joy in God and in God's salvation. Joy, it's it's supposed to fill the hearts and the lives of the communities of faith. The law of God even, and faithfulness and obedience to God's word is an occasion for joy. The many festivals and feasts of the Old Testament, Jesus' regular and repeated reference to the kingdom of God as a party tells us, That as C.S. Lewis put it, joy is the serious business of heaven. The birth of Jesus is good news of great joy. 
good news, but of great joy. Even in the Westminster Catechism, which can be a little dry, the first question, what is the chief end of man, is answered with to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Joy is not only a a fruit that we are to bear now, but it is our eternal destiny. This morning you heard from uh, one of my personal favorites passages uh, in the Bible. It comes from an obscure minor prophet named Habakkuk. We don't really know very much about him, but it seems as though he was preaching at a time when the Babylonians have just defeated the Assyrians and are now the undisputed dominant world power. And he knows that it's only a matter of time before what remains of his own nation will be swallowed up by the machinery of empire. So in the first two chapters of the book, he questions God as to why this is happening, why the people of God are suffering, and why God is using this unrighteous, this hateful nation, these Babylonians, as instruments of his divine justice and judgment for the people of God. It's the twin questions that people have always asked of God. Why is there suffering? And why is there evil? And why does this evil just prevail? We profess that God directs the world toward his glory, toward justice and mercy and love. But the persistent reality of injustice and suffering shakes our faith and trust in a loving God, as it did for Habakkuk. But then now in the third chapter, he has this vision of God and he sees that God will ultimately prevail and bring salvation to his people. And then the words that you heard just a few moments ago, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there are be no herds in the stalls. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Though there is this catastrophic agricultural and economic collapse, though the circumstances around me suggest otherwise, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Carl Burt said about joy is a defiant nevertheless. No matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are in my life, yet, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. Uh, I recently learned a slang term, yeet, which my kids have told me I should never use, and my daughter is already embarrassed. (laughs) For those of you who are not as trendy as I am and haven't looked it up in Urban Dictionary... It's a versatile word that can be used as an exclamation to express excitement. It's a word of joy. As in, I got an A on my midterm. Yeet. (laughs) Were he a teenager today or a cool middle-aged prophet, Habakkuk might have said, yeet, I will rejoice in the Lord. Or maybe not. I will rejoice in the Lord my God, no matter the circumstances. In his letter to the Philippians, the Apostle Paul similarly wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. 
In fact, the entire letter to the Philippians, joy dominates that letter. And you might think, well, Paul must be having, you know, success in his ministry and things are going well. But no, he is facing a very difficult set of circumstances just as Habakkuk is. Paul's in prison. He's pretty sure that he's going to be executed very soon. He, he thinks he only has a few days left. He's got people using his imprisonment to further discourage him. Yet in his letter, he makes no mention of his difficulties. He makes no effort to complain and whine about how hard it is to be in prison unjustly. Instead, he tells them that he has joy because of all the things that are going around him. That in spite of the difficulties, he has great joy. And he calls the people of Philippians to share in this joy, to have joy. He commands them, rejoice in the Lord always, always. Wendell Berry's poem, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front, has a similar line. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. This is what the people of God do, as Paul did, as Habakkuk did. They are not in denial about reality. They are not looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. In fact, Habakkuk, in his case, you know, after he has this vision of God, nothing in the world, nothing in his life has changed. He's not trying to pretend things are better all of a sudden. He knows the Babylonian empire is still coming and will crush his nation. He knows that violence and destruction are moments away. His community remains under threat. The rich continue to oppress the poor, enslave the weak. God's people, supposedly his God's people, they continue to worship idols and abandon God. Yet, yet, nevertheless, he rejoices in the Lord because he has seen this vision that this is not the way it's always going to be. Like the last vision in the book of Revelation, he has seen the day when there will be no more tears. When, as Tolkien wrote, all sad things will be made untrue. So he sings. So he sings. Despite the reality of his world, he sings in trust And he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. He faces the reality, but with the assurance that God is still in control and that God's salvation, God's justice will ultimately prevail. And that gives him the confidence to rejoice in the Lord. This is the joy of the Spirit. I know that most often, we associate joy with the circumstances of our lives. But the joy of the Spirit is not that fleeting moment of joy we experience when good things are happening in our lives. It's not the joy tied up with happy or comfortable circumstances. It's not the joy that you can you know, make for yourself by working harder or, or buying something new. Certainly getting a new toy or getting an A on your calculus test or getting a date on Friday night, or getting a win in your fantasy football league. Those things can make you feel better, and it is a kind of joy, and we can be thankful, should be thankful, and enjoy those good gifts. But the joy of the Spirit 
is something more than that. It's more than a feeling of elation based on happy circumstances or simply choosing to have a cheerful outlook or being an optimist. Habakkuk is not suggesting that we just simply pretend and cheer up and look on the bright side of things. He says, I will rejoice in the Lord despite the reality of my world. I will choose, I will choose to rejoice in the Lord, my God. Joy is not simply a feeling I'm going to have when things are happening around me. It is also a decision I make on how I am going to live my life. I will rejoice in the Lord my God. I said last week that the fruit is a result of being connected to the vine, that the key to bearing good fruit and the fruit of the Spirit is being connected to Jesus, who is the true vine, to abide in him, that apart from him, we can do nothing. We can bear no fruit. Christian joy, like all of the other fruit, is a result of being in Christ's presence. That's it. And the unique nature of joy is that when we are in that presence, it can catch us off guard. In fact, that the root of the word joy in Greek is this idea of surprise, right? That, that joy catches us by surprise. Eugene Peterson said this, joy is the capacity to hear the name of God and to recognize that God is there. Joy is the capacity to hear the name of God and recognize that God is there. There's a kind of exhilaration because God is doing something and even in a little way, it's enough at that moment. It's the joy that catches us when we are in and abiding in Christ. It's like, you know, when you have a conversation with someone and you recognize that there's an, an unmistakable work of God in bringing you together at that moment for mutual encouragement. You know, I remember just having a conversation with someone and, and seeing how our lives had crossed years ago and, and just being so just thrilled at that moment that God had worked that into our lives. It's when you can see how God miraculously choreographed your life to intersect with another person for just that moment and catch you by surprise. It's like when the Spirit of God nudges you toward giving or or when you see the needs of someone and you do something. Like this morning, you know, so many people came. I don't know if you saw uh, in the fellowship hall, people were putting these boxes together uh, for our students who are away in uh, school. And I mean, I, I was just so overwhelmed by the amount of stuff our students are going to be getting. I mean, they're getting, I thought when they were going to do like these gift boxes, it was going to be like a little box. But these were like, you know, these big Amazon, you know, boxes. They had so much stuff in there. I mean, I couldn't believe how much stuff they're going to get. You know, I'm so angry with my my church when I was a kid. They never sent me anything like that. You know, not even a small box, right? I mean, there's this incredible joy. And I, I hope the kids, when they get these boxes, it's going to catch them by surprise, this, this love that is being sent to them. And, and they'll be filled with joy knowing that there is a, a family looking out for them, praying for them, thinking of them. There's joy in that moment because God is present in that moment. Of course, God is always present, but it's, it's in those little moments when, when you become more aware of that. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I had a really just a fun kind of taste of this um, how many of you have like one of those uh, Amazon Echoes type devices at home? Okay. Well, you know, you know what those are, right? So uh, as you know, I'm a technology dinosaur, um, but 
Last Christmas, someone bought us a Amazon Echo Dot for uh, as a Christmas present. And so if you have one, you know that, you know, after you plug it in uh, or have your wife plug it in, you can ask Alexa for all kinds of things, right? You can say, Alexa, what's the, what's the capital of Pakistan? Or what's the weather going to be like? You can do all kinds of stuff like that. So when we first got it, like, you know, I, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Like, you can, you can ask stuff. And um, it was fun for about 15 minutes. And then, you know, it was like, okay, that's it. Like, okay, fun's over now. And so I just kind of left it alone. And uh, over the last, like, you know, nine months or so now, uh, my wife and I, we've kind of settled into the way we use it. So she uses it usually to have it play music. Um, and I use it every morning uh, to listen to the news. I ask, you know, Alexa, give me the news briefing. And, you know, I sit there on the couch drinking my, uh, sipping my coffee uh, before I go to work. So that's been my routine uh, this past year. Well, a few weeks ago, after hearing the news, for some reason, I inexplicably asked Alexa, Alexa, Tell me a joke. I have no idea why I did that. I've, I've never done that. Um, just totally out of the blue. Um, and Alexa told me a joke. Wasn't very good. And so I said, Alexa, tell me another joke. Also not that great. So I kept asking Alexa maybe a, a half dozen times to tell me a joke until I finally heard one that I liked. And I thought, oh, that, that's good. And so, so that was it. Well, that day, um, I had to drive up to Bergen County for a meeting with the presbytery uh, because I've just been assigned to be part of an administrative commission. And uh, administrative commissions are not fun. Um, usually, they're brought in uh, when a session in a church is broken and when churches are going through really difficult times, you go in there um, and it's just, it's, it's not fun work, uh, but I was assigned, and so I was in a meeting with the presbytery, and we're having these discussions about what we're going to do and all of this. And while I'm in the middle of this meeting, uh, one of my kids texts me, and the text said, Dad, do you know any good jokes? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I freaked out a little bit. Right? I'm in the middle of the meeting, and I see, like, Dad, do you know any? Like, my kids haven't asked me for a joke in, like, 10 years. Right? So I ask, why... And he or she tells me that they need a joke for an assignment in their poetry class. So now you know who it is. <laughs> so, so I text back the joke I heard that morning. And I thought, how cool is that? Now, this may seem like a frivolous example, but, but sitting in a presbytery meeting discussing some very difficult things, not the most joyful time of the day, and getting that text and having had that happen to me in the morning, it was a moment of sheer joy for me. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't praying, God, give me a moment of joy, right? But somehow, God was just just giving me a little nudge as if to say, hey, I'm here with you. That's it. And knowing that God is present in your life like that, I mean, that's, that's... The grounds of joy. Calvin defined faith as a firm and certain knowledge of God's benevolence toward us, found upon the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both revealed to our mind and sealed upon our hearts through the Holy Spirit. It's knowing, 
right? Faith is knowing in the deepest sense, and that is what leads to joy. This is the joy of the Lord and in the Lord. And this is why even in suffering, even in the midst of tragedy, as we participate in the life of Christ, we can have joy. 1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. At the very least, we have the promise of joy and rejoicing and gladness that will come at a later time. You may know that the great writer Flannery O'Connor was diagnosed with lupus, an autoimmune disease in which the body attacks itself at the young age of 25. It's a disease that killed her father, and she was told that she had only five years left to live. And so she returned to her mother's farm, and she continued to write and outlive the diagnosis, and she lived 14 more years before dying from complications from surgery. And in one of the earlier letters after she found out uh, about her disease, she wrote these words. She wrote, I am making out, I am making out that in spite of any conflicting stories, lupus is one of those things in the rheumatic department. It comes and goes. When it comes, I retire. And when it goes, I venture forth. I have enough energy to write with that And as that is all I have any business doing anyhow, I can, with one eye squinted, take it all as a blessing. I love that line. I can, with one eye squinted, take it all as a blessing. Right? I mean, that's an incredible testimony. To be 25 years old, to be so young and so talented, but to be confined to her home, to be told that you only have five years left to live, I mean, that that could have been just completely devastating. Right? It could have been just completely overwhelming and paralyzing. And yet, nevertheless, nevertheless, she knew that God had called her to write, and she was thankful that she could, in moments, continue in that work. She knew that even in suffering, she could experience of the joy of the Lord with one eye squinted. It's possible because it's joy in the Lord, not in my strength. Not in happy circumstances around me, but in the Lord. As Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Our strength comes from the joy of the Lord. Jesus promises disciples in John 16, you will be sorrowful in anticipating his death, he said, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. That's the promise that we have. Maybe you're in a season of sorrow right now. Maybe you're not experiencing a whole lot of joy. But that's okay. Because Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, but he also wrote, weep with those who weep. So it's not that we are to put on you know, a fake smile and pretend everything's good all the time. It's just this foundation that we have of joining the Lord. But we can also weep with those who weep. We are not doomed to be stuck 
without joy, if that's our experience right now. Fruit comes in its season. And so you can choose to live with this hope as you abide in Christ with the promise that you will bear fruit. Even right now, you can choose to rejoice in the Lord in anticipation. You know, on Tuesday, I, got to, uh, I went to chapel service at uh, Princeton Seminary, and I, I heard uh, my former preaching professor preach. And he said that between the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises, you have to wait. That as the people of God, between the promise and the fulfillment, we have to wait. And he said that in waiting, you can choose to wait in rebellion, in resignation, or in anticipation. Right? You know these kinds of people in your lives. There are people who somehow are able to have joy in the midst of suffering. And then there are those other people who, like, even the tiniest thing, right, they complain and whine about. And they, they rob you of any, any delight. You can decide to complain and whine. You can, you can work against God even. Or maybe, maybe just resign yourself like, oh, this is just life and this is all as good as it's going to get and just, just got to live with it. Or, or, you can anticipate the goodness of the Lord. You can choose, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You know, I remember a few months ago talking with uh, Harry and Lena about the adoption process and how, how long they had to wait between the promise of a child and the, and the fulfillment of bringing Emmett home. They had to wait, right? And it was hard sometimes because the process is complicated. But they waited with anticipation. And despite all the challenges, they were able to rejoice throughout that process because they knew, they, they, they believed that it would be fulfilled. They didn't give in to resignation and rebellion. You know, I, I know it's hard to live in, in between, right? We, we want the promise and the fulfillment to, to happen right away. This is why we love Amazon Prime, right? The promise of that thing that's going to make you happy, two days, and, and you, it's, it's in your doorsteps, right? We, we want to collapse that time of waiting. But faith doesn't work that way it's not we we can't collapse that time i know you're all facing your own trials and temptations your tragedies and hearing about god and and god's promise you know someday down the line isn't going to make any of your difficulties just magically vanish bad things happen because we live in a fallen world and they'll continue to happen there's no easy answer as to why you have to go through what you're going through or how long it's going to last there is, there is a mystery about evil and suffering in the world. And now we see through a glass darkly. But I also know that there is a greater mystery, a greater power that is working, that God's love for us in Christ and the joy of salvation is greater than the mystery of evil and suffering at the present time. And so I can, I can trust that. And I can trust that God can even use this somehow for my own good and for his further glory. I know that I can say with James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Not because we're masochists or we're looking for suffering, but we can by faith trust that God is still in control and working in the world and in me. 
you can look at the world with your eyes wide open and embrace a greater vision of reality than what is seen. You can consider all the facts and still declare with all the saints, yet, nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray together. The psalmist wrote, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, we are a people who have come to know your love, your salvation. We are a people who have experienced your presence. And yet, so often we forget. And sometimes, when life gets very hard, we lose our joy. God, we want to be a people that are not shaken by the circumstances of the world. We want to be a people who are rooted in you, in your love. And regardless of what's going on around us, that we can say with Habakkuk and with Paul and with James and with all the saints through the ages, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Help us to abide in you, to be rooted in you, so that this fruit of joy might blossom and blossom fully today. We ask, trusting in your good word. Amen. On behalf of Nashville, I'm so happy to present Whitney Cho and Ben Sands.